recording in a new venue but with the same background noise problems as ever because we've still got animals in. Welcome to Hand of Pop. Episode number 168, and as you can hear just behind me there, uh, I think you'll be able to hear it, there is a very small, very yappy dog. I moved into my new flat, uh, it's Thursday, isn't it? Yeah, I moved into my new flat on Tuesday. Uh, that's the first time, this is the first time since then that I've heard this dog. <laughs> and it happened just 10 seconds before I pressed the on button on the microphone to begin recording. Um, Regular listeners will be entirely aware of what I'm talking about. Of course, if this is the first time you're listening to Hand of Pod, you'll wonder why I'm going on about background noise and animals. Listen to a few back episodes and you'll get the picture very quickly. He's really not going to shut up, is he? No. I'd better just get on with it. I'm Sam Kelly. Welcome to Hand of Pod. And I'm joined today by Peter Coates. Hello. And Andres Bruckner. Hello. Uh, here, sorry, to, for the listeners, new ones or regular ones to be... Uh, to have idea of, of where your new apartment is situated, you are, you are near the, the city zoo. So, so it's uh, not strange that there are animals here or in the background noises are from no. animals. Listeners are uh, well used to it, and if you're a new listener, then you better get used to it because this is a hand of pod tradition. I just wasn't a hand of pod tradition I was expecting to be keeping up with uh, in this flat. But um, unfortunately, while the animal is clearly much quieter than the ones in my old building, the walls in this building are considerably thinner because it's not 115 years old like the old building was. Right then, we'd better get started. We last recorded on, I think it was Wednesday last week, wasn't it? Yeah. We previewed... I'm just going to talk over We previewed um, River Plate versus Boca Juniors, the second leg of the Copa Sudamericana semi-final. We also previewed uh, the weekend's matches last weekend, which I say previewed, we didn't spend an awful lot of time on them, but we mentioned them, um, which were going to decide how many teams go into the final round of the championship in with a shot at the title. And the final round of the championship is now coming up, and we're not going to be previewing the title deciding matches and the reason that we're not going to be previewing them. Also oh, the final of the Copa Argentina, we, we were just in the middle of it. Indeed, yes, it finished yes. while we were recording and we uh, mentioned the score and didn't say very much else. Uh, we will go over all of these things, the Copa Argentina in a bit more detail and the other things in some detail because we didn't mention them at all in any detail because they haven't happened yet when we last recorded. Um, the reason that we're not going to be previewing the championship deciding matches this weekend is because they're not taking place this weekend because... That Copa Sudamericana semi-final second leg, super classico epic between River and Boca, was a 1-0 victory for River Plate with a magnificent winning goal from Leonardo Pisculici and a hilarious saved penalty for Boca's Emmanuel Gigliotti, uh, well saved by Marcelo Barrovero, the River Plate goalkeeper, just one minute in. In fact, it was awarded 17 seconds in, um, but was taken, I think, about 
two minutes later, so I say one minute in, I'm averaging yes, out of yes. it. It was funny, that's the main thing to take from it. Um, so let's take things in chronological order, shall we, guys? Can you remember much about last Thursday night's Super Classico? What did you think? Yes, apart from the penalty before, he let he was able to shoot it because there was a laser bothering him and, and, and also Teo Gutierrez was trying to distract him and apparently he, he did it because he was poorly shot, shot by, by him, by, by Emmanuel Gigliotti, Barbero, well, it was also good from, from him the way he, he, he stopped or, or, or cleared the ball from the penalty and uh, yes, after the, then 16 minutes time in first half was Pisculici who uh, caught a, a, a lose, lost ball or, 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 or rare ball from 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 Mancioni who we still are not sure if he tried to that was that, that tried to be a shot on goal or, or, or the way he shot it across for, for Pisculici to 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 give give it a proper direction to the goal and score. We still don't know that. Uh, we can imagine, but the truth, we, 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 we will never know exactly what he wanted to do. I think it was putting it back across the box. It wasn't, uh, it didn't look like much of a shot to me. It was Some people, and, and I center. think Diola Torre, commentator from the TV Pública, said that he wanted to shot uh, on goal. That's Diego La Torre, the former Boca Juniors, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, if he was shooting, it was bloody awful. <laughs> yeah, and it was a really bizarre place to shoot from as well. I mean, yeah. he, he scored one goal, I think, shortly after signing for River from a similar position, but it's certainly not somewhere that you'd expect a, a shot from, and it didn't look like much of a shot to me. Um, the general consensus, I think, was that in spite of riding their luck in those very early stages, that the penalty that was saved, um, River were the better side. The consensus afterwards certainly was that if River had won by two or three, um, it wouldn't have flattered them, even though the eventual result was just 1-0, even, in fact, at the very end, they weren't sitting back, they were still attacking as Boca came forward and, and could have had another one on the break. There, there is something happening about that, which is, that happened last night, the first leg of the final, I which, guess. Which we'll get on to a bit later, obviously, but yeah. But the same thing happened against Boca in the second leg of this, of the semi-final, which is a, very, a poor first half from River, a, a much better one from the rival, not uh, making it in goals, just being better than, than River, not not having a real difference in, in terms of of accuracy. And that uh, is the term that we shall be returning to when we go on to the weekend's league games, because it's very much the opposite situation of another team. Um, God, that's really loud, isn't it? I've not heard traffic this loud since I moved in. We haven't got any windows open, people, honestly, but apparently some of you like the background noises of sonorous Buenos Aires. Um, so that gentleman and his car horn are helping you out there to enjoy yourselves. That's one for the embed with Maradona team, I think. Um, yes, there, there is another team, and having uh, it's more of a problem for them because they're doing precisely the opposite of what River do. They're very good in the first half, and they fall to bits in the second half, and you can probably imagine, you two already know I think who I'm talking about, uh, but we shall get on to them in a short while, because that did mean, and I said having started off saying we'll do this chronologically, it actually doesn't make sense to, because we talked about the semi-final, we talked about River's win, um, it's pretty clear what it meant for River, 
It means a place in the Copa Sudamericana final. It's the first continental final they've been in since 2003 when they were last in the Supercopa. Sorry, in the Copa Sudamericana um, final against Cienciano of Peru with Marcelo Gachado playing. And Fernando Cabrera, was also playing, was he not? Yes, I, I, yes. Um, Marco Pellegrini was the coach, and yes, I think Cabrera was in the start. And uh, that was indeed, in I've forgotten that Pellegrini was the coach, you're quite right, the Manchester City manager now. Um, and Gachado now, of course, is, is managing River, and so it's a, kind of a chance for him to get revenge on the competition, let's say, against Atletico Nacional of Colombia, who went through. Though he says he's not, it's not revenge, yes. as he's now a coach and a that it's yeah, the that type of player and mentally yeah. it's different, yes. Um, uh, Atletico Nacional of Colombia went through against San Paulo in a, an entertaining couple of legs in the semi-final. They dominated the first match, which they won 1-0, then they lost the second match 1-0, um, and then they won the penalty shootouts. By, we were watching it in that... Yes, remember the, ne- the number of, of penalties. The, the, the final result 4-2 I think it might have been I can't remember um, I remember Alan Kardec shooting very very high and, and, and then slippering oh he slipped didn't he yeah, yeah. that's right um, so yes anyway let's go and see that uh, Rivers uh, rivals in the final and the first leg was played on Wednesday night in Medellin where River came away perhaps slightly fortuitously and when I say perhaps I mean definitely uh, with a 1-1 draw and as Andres has already said, similar story, again, to what we've seen so many times from River this year, which is that the other team edging the first half maybe could have been ahead by, by more if it weren't for Marcelo Barroero, particularly in goal and one or two um, moments of, of good defending under pressure from, from River's backline, um, and then River really improving a lot after the break, which has been a notable aspect of River's season even in matches where they've actually looked alright in the first half they've come in they've come on more strongly in the second half um, and now that we're getting to the business end of the season and people have been talking about oh they're very tired and they need a rest and everything and obviously the kids were playing against Racing a couple of weeks ago um, it's looking like in these key matches so far at least River are, are doing alright Leonardo Piscolici scored another golasso um, on Wednesday night to equalise for the 1-1 one, one which really was a golasso, uh, and it was definitely meant to shot that one. <laughs> yes, it's although I thought the keeper should have bounced as it got to. Yeah, I mean, the bounce made it awkward for him. But I mean, I think if I was a Nacional fan, I, w- I would be thinking mm, the so keeper got. Yeah, even he did get a, he, he got two hands to it. Really, mm-hmm. he, he, I think he should have had been able to get enough to put it around the post. But um, it was a good. It was a good strike. He, he, a pretty good match. It was a two, two teams who, who wanted to go for it. Obviously, River found it a bit difficult to live with the tempo in the in the first half. After, a, as we mentioned before, continental South American football involves some rather long journeys, um, and, and they looked frankly tired in the first half. Sherman, Sherman Cardona, uh, Erwin Cardona was superb, as was the goal scorer, whose first name I've forgotten, but whose surname is Berrio, um, and who really turned it on but really how well did Atletico Nacional do that they started the match as well with 10 men on the pitch and yet still managed to have a 1-0 lead at half time it was only in the second half when Jonathan Copete left the field to be replaced by an actual player I can't remember who um, that, that Nacional Sebastian Perez yes. who hit the crossbar about two minutes later after Copete had just been useless 
when throughout the game he'd missed at least two, I wouldn't say clear cut chances, but certainly ones he'd expect him to at least get them on target and just whacked them out. There, was, there was particularly one chance in which he, the, I know the, the one who gave him a, a beautiful pass, he and he just put it ahead, the ball ahead, because he couldn't control it. And it was clear mm. chance. Yes, from Cardona again, yeah. Um, a free kick from just, just inside the big river half. Um, we shall now move on, however, because obviously the second leg of that Copa Sudamericana final is being played here. Um, I now live closer, for the first time since I moved to Buenos Aires, I live closer to the Monumental than to La Bombonera, which is yeah, that, that's probably the, the most pleasurable thing about having moved to Palermo, I have to say, um, because I'm not a huge fan of, of being uh, somebody who lives in Palermo, but this is one advantage anyway. I might just be able to see the fireworks on next Wednesday night if I peer out of my bathroom window in the correct direction. Although well, I think there might be skyscrapers in the way, I'm not sure. Um, the second leg is going to play on Wednesday night at the Estadio Monumental. Away goals, in case you're wondering, do not count extra in the final, uh, although they do for the rest of the competition. The reason for this, before anybody writes in to ask, is that Colmebol are silly, basically. Um, they only brought away goals in about 10 years ago. It was 2004, it was the first Libertadores with uh, away goals, wasn't it? Um, and River have got a decent chance. River are going to be stronger at home than they were away, you'd think, would you not? Is, yes, is this we, an end? A 17 year wait for an international title? I think it's good to have confidence, but not too much, because uh, Atlético Nacional has been good in, in that condition, being away. Uh, so it's good to have to be calm. Of course, it's a good result anyway. Even uh, although that uh, away goals doesn't count anymore, because uh, uh, any victory from from River will will make them champions. So uh, they have to think about that. I think. I think. Not uh, well. Is uh, we are better when we are playing at the Monumental and that. And I think, I think that Marcelo Gallardo will find a way not to, for the players not to be that anxious and to be more relaxed and more calm. <clears throat> and apparently he knows how to make players react positive, positive, in a positive way because yesterday night was proof of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other team perhaps after that first half, not because not, not because of the goals, but because of the... Of the Football that that, that, that uh, uh, the rival in this case national national played would be well we are just on the on our side and try to 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 just put the ball away in this case uh, they looked in second half much like we were used to to watch them play uh, so that's something I think is very good from the coach players can, can of course the players are the ones that go there and do the do, do things but uh, mentally I think it was a change, a clear change I think as well River have been uh, boosted by uh, the return of Kavanagi, which we'll obviously yeah. get to with, in the league but he, he offers a, a, something different especially once since Mora's injury uh, and then last night the added boost of having Granovita back from injury as well ahead of the second leg and way ahead of schedule because he wasn't expected to be yeah. that until February uh, he's made a remarkable recovery uh, it's also just a little bit of 
of history because we might see something achieved in the Copa Sudamericana that hasn't been achieved since the 2012 Copa Sudamericana, that's a full two years ago, um, which is that if River do win, uh, the, if, they, if they lift the trophy, we should say, uh, next Wednesday, whether they win the match or whether they draw it and then win on penalties, they will do so as uh, an unbeaten team in this year's Copa Sudamericana, and who's lost their very first match in the Copa Sudamericana last year. Um, on the way to winning it but after that they didn't lose at all but River's uh, record so far in the Copa Sudamericana is seven wins and two draws um, so that's something to, to say well done to them for San Paolo um, obviously won in 2012 and they were also unbeaten although they drew blindly they drew five games and won three on their way to winning that Copa Sudamericana that's almost impressive um, well done them I haven't realised how very ordinary that was. That, that, that was. Um, and now, ladies and gentlemen, on to the weekend in the league. Um, because it was a weekend during which, at the beginning of which, I think there were five, five I think. six, five, five, thirty-five, yes, five teams um, who were still mathematically in with a chance of the title. Uh, admittedly, only three of them really realistically um, and indeed that was how it proved because um, your team Peter who were called Independiente yes. uh, were out of the title race in spite of picking up a win because I think it was was it before they kicked off Racing had already played no oh, right, well, you, you, you played on Saturday in night didn't you yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was uh, Independiente played and won on Saturday night but that ended up being uh, essentially in vain because the following day uh regardless of the Independiente result, a Racing victory would have put Independiente out of the title race and that's what happened. Racing got a very comfortable 3-0 win away to the Rosario Central. It was almost unracing like because as we mentioned last week on Hand of Pod, it would be the most racing thing in the world to win the really big game against River, go top of the table with two games to go and then somehow manage to cock it up on the run in anyway, which could still happen. <laughs> We're not going to put it past them now, Hope but it's not. looking increasingly unlikely. Um, you hope not, Peter. You hope yeah. Racing don't cock it up. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I sense some sarcasm. Um, that left... Saying that, I, I was watching their game against Central mm. in the first half thinking, oh my God, they are actually going to do, do this. Because Rass- Central were the better side in, in the uh, certainly the opening 30 minutes and if it wasn't for some wasteful finishing and some good saves... Even um, after Racing took the lead, which was... In the thirty-fifth minute or something, was it? No, it's like a minute before the break, wasn't it? Uh, let me see. And was a f- forty-second minute. Sorry, through Gaston Nias. Very um, young, just. It was oh, clearly offside. Yes, <laughs> clearly offside. Um, but even after that, about five minutes into the second half, um, Tamer Gomez Gomez Andrade, uh, Rosario Central's defender, uh, somehow managed to head across over the crossbar from almost directly underneath the crossbar it was astonishing which would have made it 1-1 and put some real hearts in Racing mouths I then immediately felt like an enormous racist <laughs> because Teo Gomez Gomez Andrade Peter's laughing because he obviously saw uh, what I put on Twitter Teo Gomez Andrade is um, number 26 and Jose Adolfo Valencia who I was aware had started on the bench is number 20 and my television signal had cut out for a minute during the uh, just after the the restart, and I thought that I saw the number twenty on the back of the big black guy who just headed the ball over the bar, and also was heading the ball over the opposition crossbar. I wasn't expecting it to be a defender, 
and put that it was Valencia and then looked again and saw actually no, that's number 26 yeah, who's that oh good right I've mistaken a big black man for another big black man um, so I've got up an apology um, but uh, it, quite aside from any racial profiling that I might have indulged in unwittingly um, and I would like to clarify that it was entirely unwitting can't stress that enough um, it was quite a chance to miss and from that point on Racing suddenly almost immediately began to look much more confident again and Diego Milito um, with the class that he's shown throughout the tournament uh, championship sorry um, wrapped it up with goals in the 65th and 79th minutes to give Racing an, in the end a fairly comfortable win um, that left that, that was the fu- one of the two 5pm kickoffs on Sunday we then had at I think it was 6.15 uh, River Plate took on Banfield in a match that normally you'd have expected that if it was River's first strength, full strength side, if they hadn't been for a super classical 48, no, 76 hours before, 74 hours before, sorry, 76 hours is a, well, anyway, three days before, it wasn't even the exact number of hours. Um, it wasn't even six hours. It was the same kickoff times. It was Thursday nights, now Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, so it wasn't 96 hours, that was four days. 30, 30 it was. Yeah, so Thursday, so Friday's 24, 48, less than 74 hours. 72, sorry. God, I can't have 24 and 20. No, it's 24 times 3 is 72, and it was it kicked off before 9 o'clock on Sunday night. Oh. Um, so, no, I'm talking about the previous game. You were thinking, I was talking oh. about until the first. No, no, sorry. Um, so, uh, if River had been playing full strength, we'd have been expecting a fairly comfortable River win. River played a mixed team, but a notably, I thought, a stronger mixed team than they played against Racing, which wasn't a mixed team at all, really. It was the reserves plus Barrovero and Maidana. Um, River played a couple of starters, they had a few more starters on the bench, and as Peter mentions, one of those starters came on at half-time for Teo Gutierrez to make the difference. Teo Gutierrez apparently had been included in the starting lineup because he wanted to try and uh, finish the championship as top scorer, but he didn't really do very much during the first half, he looked rather out of sorts. He was replaced by Fernando Cabenaki at half-time, uh, who as Peter notes was making a return. Like Matthias Kranovita on Wednesday night, Kavanaki was making a return slightly ahead of schedule from a... Uh, um, it wasn't his foot, because that was Kranovita who broke. Oh no, I think it was his foot as well. I think they both had metatarsals. Kranovita definitely had a metatarsal. I think it was, it was Kavanaki as well. Um, and within eight minutes of coming on, Kavanaki had uh, underlined how disappointing tail was in the first half by scoring a cracker from, what, 25-ish yards out, down into the bottom corner for his 100th River Plate goal. He then added later on a penalty after Carlos Sanchez had headed River into a 2-1 lead. It's worth pointing out, Banfield were 1-0 up at half-time. That was a cracking goal. It was, yeah. From, can you remember? Nicolas Bacalo. Well done. Banfield pulled one back. Uh, it actually, hang on, it went 1-0 to Banfield, 1-1 with Kavanaki's goal, 2-1 through Carlos Sanchez to River, and then Banfield got it back to 2-2 with a, a Santiago Salcedo penalty uh, before Kavanaki scored a penalty to put River into an unassailable 3-2 lead. Fantastic match. Banfield felt slightly hard done by, I think, as well. They, they no, same well. story. Banfield good, very good uh, with the ball, uh, not, not having accuracy with, with, in scoring. So, so they, they are, I think, uh, under the middle of the table because of that. Yeah, Banfield are entertaining to watch and they play some decent football, but I think as Matias Almeida sort of 
I'm not sure Matthias Almeida would quite phrase it this way. He, of course, is, is the Banfield uh, manager, for those who aren't aware. Um, but essentially, I, I think that Banfield are basically let down by the fact they're not very good. They, they play nice football, they're nice to watch, but at the end of the day, they're a bit shit, and that is ultimately the, the last bit they can't quite get over a lot of the time, particularly um, when Juan Casares isn't in the team, the former River playmaker, um, who has been injured now for the last few weeks. He got injured on Ecuador duty uh, last month. No, no, that one, it, was, it was before last month. It was October, because we're into December now, um, in October. And he hasn't played since. And they've struggled without him, in spite of the fact that because he was injured on international duty, Nicolas Bianchi-Anse, the centre-back, has been playing with a suspension over his head because he should have been suspended when Casares went on international duty and got injured, which means that due to AFA, Article 225, Bianchi-Arce is allowed to continue playing unless he gets another red card until Casares comes back from injury, which is vaguely ridiculous, but there we go. Um, that was the 6-15 game, and it kept River in the title race, still two points behind Racing, and then, of course, Lanús, who started the weekend 11 on points with River, hosted Boca Juniors, and we talked during Andres' discussion of the first leg of the Copa Sudamericana about River Plate's penchant for improving after half-time, and I mentioned that there was a team who significantly started throwing away points after half-time. That team, of course, are Lanús, because they were 2 nil up at the break. Luciano Lautaro, sorry, Acosta, uh, scoring in the very first minute and in the 43rd minute. And it's not every day that I will describe Boca Juniors winning points in a positive light, but I have to say, it was hilarious the way that Boca came back into it. In the last 15 minutes, Emanuelin Sua scored a goal um, in the 75th minute to drag Boca back into it at 2-1 down. He then got himself sent off 10 minutes later, and two minutes after that red card, Jonathan Caleri made it 2-2. Lanús, if we took just the scores from the first uh, uh, half-time, Lanús would be top of the table by seven points. <laughs> They'd have 39 points, and uh, Racing would be second on 32. I, I think one of the, of the reasons why Lanús is not, has not, no chances finally to, to claim for the title is that uh, their coach has no critics on their t own team. They are, they, 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 he said... After oh, that, he, he doesn't have any self-criticism either. He was in the paper on Monday saying, oh, we're on the same level as Racing and River. And they're not on the same level as Racing they, and River. They, 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 draw, they draw incredibly against Boca with a more man, man than, than, than them. And he's saying, well, but Lanús is at the same line. And, uh, if you see the table, there is River, Independiente, Racing, Boca and we are there, like I clearly saying that they are a small team because if they, if he says that he says, Well, they're the only one of the top five who aren't one of the big five at present. So, from that point of view, yeah, Lanus are punching above their weight, but Lanus have been punching above their weight for seven or eight years now. And Baros Ekelotto saying we're on the same level as the two championship challenges when they're clearly not, and when they've thrown away 11 points from, from winning positions in recent weeks. Is something else. Do you know what position, having mentioned that at half time they'd be top of the table, if we just count second halves, what position would Lanus be in the league? Anybody want to guess? They will be in the bottom. They know exactly the position. No, we're going to say the bottom. Well, the 16th. Oh, yeah. They've got 19 points from second halves, which is, as we mentioned, 39 points from first halves, 19 from second halves, 20 fewer, which is. Astonishing. And then they blamed also the situation 
at the match with uh, against Arsenal when they were benefit and they say that they are they were that was bad for them hmm. because after that they will they couldn't play uh, at ease like well they 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 all the people talking about the referee just made us play play worse or something like that. Yes, that's clearly it's uh, it's our fault for piling the pressure on Porky Journal. Um, it is quite entertaining though that after complaining about referees for so long, when you can suddenly no longer do that, he starts complaining about other people complaining about referees. I don't know what goes on in his head. You know, it, it's hilarious because when you complain when when they don't benefit you, and also when they benefit you. Mm. Um, I was also reading further bad news potentially for Lanis that. Marchesin and yes. Diego Gonzalez yeah. may be on their way to Santos Laguna. Who just nicked Carlos Isco <laughs> exactly. off them, was it six months ago or a year ago? Yeah, six, six months, months ago, ago, wasn't it? Same time as Gold, went to America. Exactly, uh, yeah. So they'll have lost, having lost half of their defence or half of their back four in front of the goalkeeper six months ago, they now might be about to lose the goalkeeper and another one of that back four, plus the number five who sat in front of the back four. Um, which is going to leave Diego Bragieri as the only player who was a first-choice defender seven months ago who's still playing for them in January, if he's still playing for them in January. Um, so, good luck getting yourself sorted out with uh, that one, Guillermo, if you're listening. But I heard, I heard sorry, $8 million for both players. Yeah. Is that $8 million each or $8 million for I the package? I read it was $8 million for the package. Right, that makes a bit more sense. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's very, very high, high sum of money. You think? Eight, well, eight million. On, on the face of it, I think that for the quality of players they are, particularly Brad, uh, uh, Bradgeri, uh, Magazine, he's a very good young goalkeeper. Yeah. He's what, 26. 26. Both 26. Wow. Um, I think that's a great deal. If, if they were European, they'd be going for a hell of a lot more. Or if Argentina's economy was strong. I, 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 think, situation. I think that, that even if, if they were uh, going to Europe, they will uh, pay more, less than... than I, I, perhaps Mexico is... The, the new po- uh, power in terms of money, but uh, I think that Europe will pay two or three dollars each, a million dollars each, not four. Uh, if you get Marquesin in Europe for two million dollars. Well, per- perhaps Marquesin because he has been playing for the national team, not the own size. I don't, I don't just mean in terms of, of getting them from Lanús. I mean, if they were a European player, if they were Spanish, yes, of course, the club in Spain. Yeah. Obviously, to an extent, that's Argentine yes. economy. Well, that's a big surprise. I'm, I'm sort of talking out of my ass a bit there. But um, I, I genuinely think they're, they're both much better players than, than that valuation on its own would suggest. Particularly, I mean, for both of them, that just sounds... Yeah, exactly. No, I thought the same, yeah. As Andres, you know, we're kind of coming at the same thing from different sides because at the same time, I do recognise that for Lanús or for any club in Argentina, that's a very significant amount of money. We're talking a few months ago about you know justifying why River Plate would have been prepared to accept six million dollars for Eder Alvarez Balanta. What what five know. what five or six years ago was six seven million dollars now it's three or four. It's yeah. like well, that. I think that the uh, way you have a point. Um, those results, uh, the Racing River and Lanús results, meant that Lanús dropped out of the title race and that we now have just two teams left in the title race they are Racing and River and as we've hinted at already they're not going to be playing this weekend because after statute is not the right word after regulations allow River as they are 
involved in a continental final to postpone, postpone thank you, um, their match. River also, by the way, they were allowed to postpone um, the Banfield match as well. They could have done that if they wanted to, but they decided to play that one and just postpone the last one um, to allow themselves more time to prepare for the continental final. This, of course, is something that San Lorenzo also did at the beginning of this season when the Libertadores final was played on either side of the first uh, round of Tonel Transition matches. They, they didn't play the Olympo game until something right between the fourth and fifth rounds, I think it was. Um, so River have got this coming Sunday off, as a result of which Racing also have this coming Sunday off, even though it's not really necessary because it's an AFA rule, basically. The rules are the rules. And there are lots of people saying, well, yeah, but it doesn't really make a difference because if Racing win, it doesn't make a difference anyway. Whatever River do, Racing are the champions. Yes, so and, and, and Racing... Well, dead level. At the same time, one thing that, that nobody at AFA has pointed out, everybody at AFA has just said, this is happening because it's the rules, and that's the only reason. No common sense applied to us. There is a common sense benefit from it, let's say, which, as I said, is not what the Afro are going for, but it happens to, to kind of apply, and I think justifies it to a degree, even though it's not the justification Afro are using, which is that um, if two teams finish level at the top, obviously, as we know, we have a one-off playoff. If three teams have finished level at the top, by the way, if Lanus had won on Sunday and then finished level with Racing and River, Although we did have a triangular playoff in 2009, was it? No, 2011, 10? 10. Yeah. I was here. Yeah, it was 2010. Um, four years ago. Uh, that rule was changed at the beginning of this season. If, all, if three sides or more finish level at the top, the results against the rest of the league are cut out, and it's just the team who win the most points who would have been crowned champions, which would have been Lanús. Um, because of course they drew with River and they beat Racing, whereas River lost to Racing and they drew with Lanux. Um So Lanux would have been champions. That's not going to happen. If two teams finish level at the top, it doesn't get up to goal difference, it doesn't get up to results between them. It goes to a one off playoff on a neutral stadium, which would probably be played the following Wednesday. Inadvertently, the fact that Racing's game had to be postponed as well means that. Um, if that playoff happens, and because it's Racing involved, we're not going to put it past the fact that it could happen because Racing are more than capable of cocking up even at home to Godoy Cruz on the last day of the season. Um, if that playoff does happen, then both, team, both teams will be coming into the playoff with an equal amount of rest. You're not going to get a Riverside who just played three days before against a Racing side who last played a week and a half before and have had the time to, to, to rest and recuperate. So to an extent, it's kind of fairer, even though that's not the reason that the AFA are doing it they're just doing it because it's the rule and that's what they've got to do you have to stick to the rules you can't bend the rules on your AFA yeah, shock horror and next time we're going to talk about bending the rules another thing that has to do with rules is players' vacations AFA have already had to ask for permission from the players' union to extend the season beyond this weekend you're quite right um, and there are lots of people going oh but what if it what if they have to play the playoff the following weekend what if it ends up being really close to Christmas which is laughable if you've ever been in Argentina for Christmas and seen the amount of attention that Argentines pay to Christmas and suddenly everyone's going oh no we can't have them playing a week before I remember Racing becoming champions I remember Racing becoming champions the last time they, they did in 2011 uh, 2001 sorry which we're going to bring up in a second as well Karen. in which they, they, they became champions on the 20 or 21 of December I don't remember exactly oh, I didn't realise it was that late Yes, that very late. But it is, of course, more than um, notable to bring it up because it's the only time in the last 
is it 47 years that Racing have been champions? The previous championship they won in so 1966, no, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah, so 48 years. Um, they've only been champions of Argentina once in the last 48 years. And when that happened, a week and a half later, the Argentine economy collapsed. The peso was on peg from the dollar and immediately went from one dollar down to about four dollars. Uh, Argentina went through 17 presidents in the space of two days or something like that. Five in a week or something like that, wasn't it? Yes. Um, basically all hell broke loose. So if you're a neutral and you want a result that's going to give the very best for the Argentine people and, and for those of us who aren't Argentine and are living in Argentina, um, and, and, and you want to really, you're just interested in, in justice and, and in the world remaining on its axis, pray for a River Plate title win because if Racing win, Armageddon's coming or something. Um, it, it, it could be hideous. We'll have a run on the banks again. And we're not just saying that because we have an Independiente fan and two River fans in the room. We genuinely just want to see um, the world continue to turn. Both sides, to an extent, would be deserving champions, I think it's fair to say. Racing, regardless of results, uh, I won't say this weekend, I was going to say this weekend, but regardless of results uh, next weekend, um, Racing are going to have won more matches than anybody else, even if they fail to win and River win their game. And likewise, even if River lose and Racing don't, um, River will have, have lost fewer than anybody else. Um, so to an extent, there are arguments for both teams being deserving champions, but what do you, what, what do we think is putting our kind of as neutral hats on as we possibly can and obviously knowing that we can come back to this in a week's time anyway because we're going to have to preview and review the Sudamericana and all the rest of it well uh, I think that River had to pay attention to Copa Sudamericana as, as we have been talking uh, so I think that that was a clear handicap on them talking about the the, the, fair, the torneo de transición so I think that is uh, I don't know if 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 it is it, um, uh, I, I don't know how to say it. Uh, deserved for Racing really deserved but if they are it's the same as San Lorenzo when they are they were champions and they, we were discussing but they were deserved champions and well yeah they they drew they drew the last three matches. That's, in fairness, drawing the last three matches is not an accusation you can level at Racing. Mm. <laughs> I think R- that Racing are eight, eight, eight games unbeaten, of which they've won seven and drawn one. I think there is they no haven't conceded in five games. I mean, come on. Yes. I think there is there is no chance Gold Cruz to, to to do something against them uh, as they had lost the uh, last last round against Olimpo in Mendoza. Uh, I think they, they they won't be able to, to do anything. Uh, and, and they have two weeks to, to rest and think about the match. So of course that they won't. They, they if you ask any Russian supporter and, and even the the president Victor Blanco who tried AFA to make them play anyway on Sunday. Uh, yeah, of course that they they had one week to to think about the match, but now they have two. So I think it's not so bad uh, to to have this mini holidays. To put it in any way, in other yeah, words, may, not necessarily having two weeks to prepare just for one match of that magnitude. Well, on the one hand, you've got two weeks to prepare, but on the other hand, you've got two weeks to think. Exactly. Yeah. And when you're racing, and you've got two weeks to think about how racing have a reputation for always copying <laughs> these things up, and how hilarious everybody else in the country is not a racing fan would find it if they did. Or maybe not Boca fans, but I think 
some Bokka fans would probably have a quiet chuckle even you know, as they were crying into their cornflakes about River winning the title. Um, it, it would be, objectively speaking, quite funny to see Racing cock it up, regardless of who's winning the league as a result, in the same way as it was hilarious to see Lanus throw those points away on Sunday, even though it was Bokka who, who got a point and benefited from it. Um, it's strange, though, to be sitting here potentially talking about Racing being the league champions when we have not just us, but the press in, in general. Um, have spent virtually the entire season praising River and saying how Indeed. great and they've been. And they, they were very good at the start of the season, but we could be looking at this side. You know, they've, they've still got a lot to do in the Copa Sudamericana. We mm. could be looking at a side who win absolutely nothing. Indeed. Uh, with, with a very str- uh, small um, squad as well, like, uh, River were obviously champions going into it, but I think we'd, we all agreed that they were going to have to prioritise one championship or the other, the Sudamericana or the league, um, in order to, to get to the last weekend of both with a chance of, of winning. And it turns out, well, OK, by maybe prioritising the league a bit more, they might have been top of the table still now if they hadn't lost to Racing. Um, but the fact they're going into it with a mathematical shot, in spite of having basically a starting eleven plus a few decent subs and then a whole bunch of kids, very promising kids, kids who most of the league would love to have on their benches um, and maybe even the starting lineups in some cases but still kids uh, it's pretty impressive in itself but obviously the big unknown for me is River are away to kill this we're going to preview these properly next weekend don't worry but River are away to kill this River really should win that almost with any 11 they put up because Kilmes are bottom of the league and and they don't have any they don't even have a coach because Quattrochi was yeah was told to to be the coach until the River Plate game and he said, "No, if you don't want me, I won't. I will leave now." Uh, so yeah. I think that there won't be. They won't have any coach, a coach, a river. Hypothetically, what do you think would have happened had the draw been different in the Sudamericana and River hadn't had Boca in the semi-final? How do you think they would have panned I, out I playing think, both? I think that they'd have played more of a mix than just pure reserves against Racing, and I think they'd have got a draw. I mean, they, they, almost, they were very close to getting a draw anyway. They only didn't get a draw. Because of the ghost of Racing striker who appeared, as, as Racing fans like to say, uh, because somebody took a very blurry photograph of the television screen, which I can't see anything on, and insists there's a ghost on the TV screen. I've been shown this photo by at least two different people, one of whom is English down and who've told me, look, you can see it there. I can't see anything. I could just see a picture of a television screen with a football stadium. I don't know what you're talking about. That uh, having... Uh, this draw against Boca made the cup, uh, the Copa Sudamericana, much more inter- interesting than it was before. And now it's, it's, it's yes, oh, we have to win Copa Sudamericana. Which I'm, I'm it suddenly feels like a big trophy, even though a lot of the reason that I personally, I don't know about you, Andres, found it very difficult to take the Copa Sudamericana seriously for such a very long time was that they used to invite Boca and River into it every year. It was, it's only, they've only stopped doing that in the last yes. four years. Now you have to qualify. Now you have which to quali- is I mean, before, everybody else had to qualify, but River and Boca were always involved. And I don't mean everybody else in Argentina, by the way, listeners. I mean every other team in the Copa Sudamericana, whether you were Brazilian, Mexican, Colombian, from wherever, had to qualify for it. River and Boca, every year, were invited into it for TV, even though they never played each other in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's quite bizarre. Since they've abolished that, and they've done a couple of other things with it as well, and it's actually turned into a fairly decent, entertaining competition. And But you're right, this year, particularly I think with the Libertadores, 
the Libertadores semi-finals being four sides, none of whom had ever won the championship, the, the, the Libertadores before. And the Sudamericana semi-finals this year consisted of four teams, all of whom had won the Libertadores before. Yeah. Um, not the Sudamericana, the Libertadores. Um, and yeah, that kind of brought home. This it, it suddenly yes, it felt like it was it, it's actually a big trophy to win this year. And particularly obviously for River knocking out Boca ending a long wait for an international title potentially. And you win the right to, to play the you you may laugh about it but you you, you will Don't able say it, you will be able to you play Sudamericana and, and and Recopa Sudamericana which is of course two it's, single matches the, the Recopa Porteña next yes. year if River win. If River win. Yes. Which means money anyway. You you will laugh about it, but it means uh, having more money in your in your club. So indeed, the Saruba Bank, by the way, in case you're wondering, <laughs> is a friendly trophy held in Japan yes. at about seven o'clock in the morning Argentine time because it's held in Japan uh, between the winners of the Copa Sudamericana and the champions of Japan. Of J- Japan Cup, yes. It's not even the champions of the J League. No, it's the Japanese Cup. Oh, bloody hell! <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, um, we've got a weekend of other matches to talk about, which are actually taking place this weekend. Peter, you're pointing at me. Yeah, uh, no. <clears throat> Just as we were talking about continental competition, we also had the Libertadores draw. <laughs> and we've week. got and we've got South American continental televisions. I'm going to put this out there. Andres isn't going to know what I'm talking about, or probably won't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to put this out there and see whether Peter agrees. It's the closest thing that South America has to a great unintentional comedy show to the Eurovision Song Contest. It's the nearest equivalent. And in many, many ways, in so many ways, if you've seen both of them, that speaks incredibly poorly for the amount of spectacle that you have on South American television. Um, But yes, we we do have the Copa Libertadores group stage, which which threw up some spectacular groups as it normally does as well as a round of eight matches this weekend that are actually taking place in the Argentine Primera and some more promotions and stuff to talk about and ideally we're going to get this all done in about the next 50 minutes because my girlfriend's coming round to help me continue moving out um, at that point once we've finished recording so for now um, we're going to take a break we're going to refill our glasses we're drinking pints of Fernet tonight because I've only got pint glasses in my new flat um, and we will come back after this musical interlude has just appeared on our television. The reason that he's just appeared on our television is that he has been named the new national team manager of Paraguay. Um, and we've had another managerial appointment today as well. Uh, Gustavo Raggio has stepped down as Newell's old boys boss after their weekend... Somebody please finish my sentence for me. I can't, a defeat, of course. They lost one the other way to Independiente. Um, and has been replaced today by Américo Gallego, who I believe has been out of the Independiente job for 10 years, no? Yes. He left in, in 2004. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. Um, so... He has worked 
Sin. No, because then he's, he's worked since, yes, but he's not been in. Sorry. Yeah, no, he had I, I yes. said Independiente, I meant Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he left the Newell's job yeah, yeah, 10 yeah, years yeah. ago, is what I meant. Yeah, he's, he's worked at other clubs <laughs> yeah. in Argentina and in New South America um, since then. Um, I wanted to just briefly talk, very briefly, because otherwise we're going to go way over as we normally do, um, about Gallego's appointment in particular, because we mentioned just a couple of weeks ago how recently in Argentina there seems to be a bit of a trend of appointing young managers who are finding their way and who have new ideas about things Marcelo Gachardo and Rodolfo Arroa Barrena at River and Boca respectively are the most obvious examples but also Matias Almeida, Banfield Guillermo Gustavo Barros Esquilotto at Lanús um, Diego Coca Diego Coca, thank you, at Racing who could indeed be about to win the title so I should have remembered him perhaps slightly higher up the list um, and so forth and to an extent do you think Gachego being appointed at, again, one of the biggest clubs, certainly one of the biggest clubs outside Buenos Aires, um, does that feel like a bit of a retrograde step for the league as a whole, or for Newell's in particular, because they've had successively, okay, not necessarily young managers, but much younger than Gachego, and since Martino left, admittedly, those managers haven't gone entirely well, Berti and now Raggio falling by the wayside? Yes, difficult to, to answer that, but I think that they... They may have thought about a, a coach that knows very, very well the, the club. The, no, I know he, he knows the players, uh, except for Maxi Rodriguez and Skoko, who I think they played uh, with uh, when Gashio was co- the coach 10 years ago. Uh, but I think that in this case, after uh, two or three coaches that didn't work, that wasn't weren't good in terms of results, they tried to work look for someone who was sure that he, he knew how to work and, and, and to do uh, the, 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 to put news perhaps in the, the situations uh, different situations that they are right now mm. uh, and not to not to not to try with some difference different is when you have a su- successful team that has has been has been cha- champions and, and well, you have the perhaps freedom to put a, 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 a young coach. In this case, I think that they are like well, who is like Bianchi for for Boca, for example. Mm. Not they Bianchi wasn't good uh, in the last uh, period with them with Boca, but I think that they, they they think the thought is the same to put someone who knew yeah. who knows uh, the the club. It's, it's not as if Newell's have had a disastrous campaign. They're 10th at the moment. They can finish as high as... Uh, actually, they can finish as high as 7th, which sounds more impressive um, than, than it perhaps is. Um, because the mid, middle of the table is very congested. They could also finish as low. Mathematically, they could finish 15th, but that's incredibly unlikely. Um, that will be on goal difference uh, behind two other sides, behind Team Nassi and Godoy Cruz, if both of them won their matches. Um, I think so there's a middle ground really badly, though. but bear in mind that they were champions of Argentina a year and a half ago, which is in Argentina three championships, but you know, not all that long ago. It's not you know great. There have been bigger falls from grace. I think it, this is a fairly uninspiring choice. Yeah, um, and I think to go back to just what Andres was saying, I think you're right that they they have some kind of thought. Oh well, it hasn't really worked what we've done since Martino. Let's go to someone tried and tested. But I think there's a middle ground here because their previous elections have been 
appointments from within promotions from the the youth setup or whatever, right? Mm. Um, whereas the, the the managers you've just mentioned weren't absolute novices. You know, Gashado had won a title in Uruguay. Uh, Coca had just um, won promotion with Defensa and Justicia. These are people who who had had other jobs. So I think there's a middle ground here that Racing Newells uh, could have gone out there and found someone a bit fresher for me. One man, of course, who they did try to find was Juan Antonio Pizzi, um, who has been named Leon manager uh, rather than uh, Newell's manager. He was named that today. And um, the reason that we mention this is that it's a way of seamlessly segueing, really. Uh, and you'll see in just a second when I complete this segue just how seamless it really is. It's not at all. Not least because I'm pointing it out now. Um, but of seamlessly segueing into the next section, which is about the Copa Libertadores draw. Why is it about the Copa Libertadores draw? Because Leon are a team from Mexico, and another team from Mexico, Tigres, have been drawn in River Plate's Copa Libertadores group. <laughs> so this is how a pro does it. Sick. That was just, if I hadn't pointed it out, you wouldn't have realised I'd changed the subject then. Um, we had the Copa Libertadores draw on Tuesday because I was moving here when it happened so I missed nearly all of it which is for the best but in another way as we mentioned before the break uh, it's one of South America's great unintentional comedy moments we didn't completely brush over by the way Ramon Diaz taking charge of Paraguay that's because we don't really have anything to say about it apart from let's see what happens first competitive match in charge of Paraguay is going to be against Argentina at the Copa America in Chile next year so good luck Ramon if you're listening um, the Copa Libertadores draw is a veritable orgy of pointless number drawing and we don't just mean that in that you draw numbered balls out of a, a bag and it's pointless what we mean is first of all it's been elevated to an art form now the, the whole draw thing we want to talk about the Copa America draw as well because both of them were these ridiculous musical numbers and I mean just draw the ball Everybody, all everybody ever does when you have one of these draws, be it for the World Cup or the Olympics, okay, for the Olympics, but the World Cup or the Euros or Champions League or whatever, is just complain on Twitter about how they're not just drawing the thing and getting it finished with. What's the point in showing musical numbers and so on, right? That's the rant over. The other point, however, is that I love the Copa Libertadores draw and I'm deeply sad to have missed it um, this year as a result of moving flat while it was on because you, what you get to see is the spectacle of old men giving each other some mutual backslapping, and I did catch a bit of the very moving homage to Julio Humberto Grondona that was uh, broadcast with various old men talking about how this other old man was a dearly beloved friend and they're all very corrupt together and they didn't say the corruption bit obviously, but that was the, the general gist of it. Um, and you then get drawn a Libertadores draw, which is for the benefit of those who are coming completely fresh and you don't know anything about South American football apart from what you learn from Hand of Pod and if that's the case I really pity you um, but for, for your benefit the Libertadores is the regional equivalent it's the Copa I, start, I started that in Spanish so I shall finish it in Spanish the Copa de Campeones de Europa the European Champion Clubs Cup or Champions League as those of you under the age of about 27 will know it um, and the thing is that the draw happens in early December, 
but most South American championships don't finish until mid-December and in some cases even late December. And what this means is that some of the qualifiers still aren't known. In the case of Argentina, for a rather controversial reason that we've kind of already covered in previous episodes, um, one of Argentina's qualifiers isn't going to be known until the 15th of January. <laughs> Should we do that bit before we go on to the draw? Let's go over all of the details. Uh, one of Argentina's qualifiers comes from the 2013-14 season-long table, which doesn't decide a championship, as you know, until right now there has been one championship every half season in Argentina and nobody plays off to decide a title or anything like that. But there is still a, a season-long table made because it, the top team in that season-long table or the team who finish higher but haven't won a championship get a place in the group stage of the Copa Libertadores. Two teams finished level on points, uh, but separated, crucially, by goal difference. Those were Venice Sarsfield, who finished first, and Boca Juniors, who finished second of the 2013-14 season, which will surprise some of you, given how poorly Boca started this term and how much we spent slapping them off. But they finished first, or joined first overall. Except, after regulations, as we mentioned already in this episode, um, say that when two teams are tied for points for a championship, they play off to decide the championship. After regulations also state, pretty unequivocally, and without very much wriggle room, that in the case of the season-long table, it's decided by goal difference. It doesn't actually state that, but what it does say is you will only get a playoff or a tiebreaker if it decides a championship, or if it decides a relegation spot. That's the only time you get a tiebreaker. So rules are, rules are clear in this case. Precisely. They they and, and also... They've been used before, because there have been previous seasons when it wasn't just the top team from that table, before the Copa Argentina existed and so on, there were two or three teams that were qualified from the season-long table, and there were previous times when the goal difference was what was used. After Boca Juniors, as we mentioned at the time, right at the start of the season, after Boca Juniors went out of the Copa Argentina, suddenly, and I think, was Julio Maradona still alive at this point? I think he was. Um, the AFA decided... Boca Juniors, at this point, were in very bad form and their only remaining chance of playing next year's Libertadores was winning the Copa Sudamericana or being the best Argentine team in it. Um, suddenly, the AFA said, oh, no, you know what? They've got to play this tiebreaker against Vélez still. At which point, a lot of journalists said, but hang on, A, that should have been, if it was going to be played, it should have been played a month or two ago. And B, that's not what the rules say. AFA's press secretary, Ernesto Cherkis Piano, complete cunt who I met at the Copa America in 2011, he's a horrible, horrible man, um, came out and said, no, no, if you journalists said that, then you're allowed to think that, but that's not what the rules say. It's your misunderstandings that have led to this confusion, rather than the AFA not explaining things properly and making up rules as they go along, obviously. Um, as a result of which, that playoff has now been decided for January. The AFA have never even attempted to explain why it's being played in January rather than last June, particularly when you bear in mind that the team who qualify via the 2013-14 long league table for the Copa Libertadores are not allowed to play in the same season's Copa Sudamericana. Right? What this means is... If Boca and Vélez play on the 15th of January and Vélez Sarsfield win, therefore qualifying via the last season's league table, Boca Juniors will qualify for next year's Libertadores in the Sudamericana spot for the playoff, in spite of the fact that by virtue of having lost that playoff, Boca Juniors shouldn't have played in this year's Copa Sudamericana. No, that's wrong. They should have played in the... 
if they win the playoff, that's what it was. If they win the playoff, uh, the, the tiebreaker, sorry, with Vélez, then they shouldn't have been entered into this year's Sudamericana, which they got to the semi-finals of. Right. You see what I mean? Because you can't play in the Libertadores and the Sudamericana in the same season yeah. unless you're playing in the Sudamericana by virtue of being the defending champions um, or by virtue of having won the uh, that special Super Cup thing that River and San Lorenzo played last year, last season to decide the Sudamericana thing, which is why River are playing the Sudamericana and Libertadores in the same season. So it's all very unfair and ridiculous and the direct and contradicting each other anyway. Anyway, the point is, aside from the fact that we know Boca Juniors have qualified, but we don't know which position they've qualified in, we also don't know which position about half of the teams in the Copa Libertadores draw have qualified in, the most spectacular example of which um, is found in Group 8, because what we have is just teams being drawn for positions being drawn, and then teams will later on fill them. So Group 8 currently reads Peru seed number 1, Argentina seed number three, Paraguay seed number two, and the winner of playoff number three, which is between Deportivo Táchira and Venezuela, and Paraguay's third place. So you team. have an entire group in which you know the name of the teams. Exactly. Um, River Plate's group, apparently, is really, really difficult, but I don't know how anybody can decide that yet, because it's going to be River Plate, Peru 2, Jose Oruro of uh, San Jose Oruro, by the way, uh, sorry, of Bolivia, and Tigres, as we've already mentioned, of Mexico. Until we know who Peru two are, we don't really know if that's hard or not. It's I, mainly I hard it's, because of the travel time. Yeah, more more the travel time. And than having to go to some altitude. Um, but I just love how how they build these things up. Group one: Brazil two, Colombia two, Colo Colo Atlas, and so on. It kind of continues along that that similar theme. And so you have very old men drawing balls out of sacks and dressing it all up and looking spectacular and then you end up with a draw where you really don't know who's going to be playing who at any point anyway um, it's all very silly but there we go the two groups that we do know for Argentine clubs at the moment are the River draw which I just read out and San Lorenzo um, and this is another good example actually after the draw was made Marcelo Tinelli the San Lorenzo uh, money man the man behind the throne of Matthias Lamin's presidency went on Twitter and immediately started saying, oh, we've got a really difficult draw, what's all this about? I mean, sarcastically, he was actually saying, oh, that's a really nice group for San Lorenzo. Yeah, River, oh, they've got, they've got a, a trying to sort of suggest that River had a really easy group and San Lorenzo had a very difficult group. How we can suggest that San Lorenzo have got a difficult group, I don't know, because San Lorenzo have been drawn alongside Danubio, who are a big side in Uruguay. I mean, they're as big a side as you get in Uruguay without being Nacional Peñarol. Um, but still, a pretty short trip in a team that I think San Lorenzo is defending champions, let's not forget, should be expected to win against. And Brazil 3 and winner of playoff 6, which is between Colombia 3 and Brazil 5. So in other words, Tinelli's complaining about having a difficult group when he hasn't got a fucking clue who he's playing still. Yeah, I guess the papers picked up on the fact that they could be playing two Brazilian sides yeah. in the same group. That still. Because so, that's how Ole was billing it, like, San Lorenzo have two Brazilian sides. Because there's no chance whatsoever that the third-place Colombian team would possibly be the fifth-place Brazilian side. <laughs> yeah. Quite aside from the fact that Brazilian sides were crap in the Copa yeah, yeah, exactly. this year anyway. And the San, San Lorenzo are the defending champions. Again, so I have to keep saying it. You've won it. Stop complaining that you've got a difficult draw. By default, you're the first seed. Anyway, that's that draw. Copa America draw. Did we mention it last week? I think it had been done by the time we had it last week, but I don't think we talked about it. Argentina are in a group with Paraguay, as we mentioned, Ramon Diaz is Paraguay. Yes, Uruguay and Jamaica. Thank you very much. As one very politically incorrect person put it on Twitter, it's the um, the, the cannabis group. Yeah. Paraguay are the producers, Argentina are the traffickers. 
Uruguay are the ones who have legalised it, and Jamaica are the ones who smoke most of it. Um, that's somebody who got retweeted onto my timeline, not me myself, but I found it very mildly amusing, within a certain degree. Ramon Diaz said it was the, the, the biggest challenge in his entire career, but he has already has a, a, someone who doesn't want him on that position, who is Jose Luis Chilabar, the former, former candidate for president at Vélez. Um, who said that they, what they want, what they need right now is a former uh, of players, not a, a just a coach. And <clears throat> Ramon Diaz is not a former. Uh, he he's not uh, has not that quality. And that he talked with San Lorenzo uh, people from San Lorenzo that said that he didn't work very well when he was there. So it's polemic. Indeed, Rupert Fryer has just this second. I've just retweeted it whilst Andres was talking uh, he's just tweeted in my opinion he's not tweeted this to us by the way I'm just going to add it in for a bit of colouring because Rupert's listening and he sometimes complains but I don't mention him enough um, he says Diaz is at his best with top quality players to guide and nurture I think he'll struggle with an inferior Paraguay squad on the one hand I kind of want to reply to Rupert and say how does that fit in with his time at Oxford United where he did quite well um, unless you think Oxford United have top quality players but on the other I think within uh, strict Strictures. I think Rupert has a point there. Um, he's not much of a sort of tactics man of getting players to play above themselves, um, really. So we'll see. He might yet prove us wrong, but it's going to be interesting anyway. Has he managed a national team before? No. No. I should have researched this before we recorded, but I couldn't be bothered. So. No, no. He is the first one. The first uh, national team. He he will be in charge of. I had a feeling it was, but I wasn't sure. Um, Good, super. So we've covered the Copa America draw, we've covered the Copa Libertadores draw. Is there anything else we have to cover, gentlemen? No? Right, in that case, here's another musical break, and when we come back, we shall answer some questions. It's from David Ellingham, who's very good at emailing us in every week, um, and says, I'm currently reading The Ball is Round by David Goldblatt. Have you read that? I wouldn't have expected you to, Andres, because I don't know whether it's been translated in Spanish. In any case, it's about that thick. Peter, I'm very disappointed in you, and you should do it. It's magnificent. Seriously. Best football book ever written. Um, he details, David continues... That in 1949, Racing received a loan of 3 million pesos, rising to 11 million, from the Argentine government. That would have been Perón's government yeah. in 49, right? Uh, who, of course, was a massive Racing fan. Racing were very generously, hence, massive Racing fan, given 65 years to repay this loan. 2014 is the 65th year. Has the loan been repaid? Peter, Andres, do you want to attempt to answer this? <laughs> I already know the answer because I've already checked with our resident Racing uh, expert before recording. I don't know, but I guess no. I've already checked with English Dan, um, who tells me that in fact, when the military junta came in to Argentina in 1970... Oh, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, yeah, thank you, I almost said 79 then, of course it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> 79 was the World Youth Cup. 
I know my Argentine history, I've been living here for nearly five years, uh, in 1976, thank you Andres, when they came in, they turned around and said to Racing, you know what, we want that money now. Um, and Racing therefore had to pay off the entirety of the loan by, well, whenever the military hunter were out of power, which obviously turned out to be 1983 to everybody's great pleasure. Um, and the loan has indeed been repaid off. Repaid in full. Unfortunately, it was repaid to the military government and not to a democratically elected, peaceful, nice, uncorrupt government. Um, but then I suppose since Argentina's never had one of that matter, the uncorrupt bit being the bit I was trying to put the stress on there, um, <laughs> it, it's much the muchness. Um, so, yeah, plus, of course, the, the currency that Argentina uses has changed I don't know how many times since 1949. It, I mean, I've, I've got a 100. Uh, I'll be back in a second. <laughs> there you go, look at that. Australis. 100 Australis. I have a 100 Australis note, which my girlfriend's dad gave me. Um, from. I don't think there's a year on this. There isn't a year on it, surprise, surprise. From fuck knows when. Um, any idea when the Austral was the currency in Argentina address? It's definitely nearer than 1949. When, yes, 30 years ago. 80s-ish? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. It's, although it's now called the peso, and it's not still the same peso, uh, so I don't know how Racing would be repaying it today if they had to actually repay the lump sum today. But the answer to the question, in short, is yes, the loan's been repaid. And now we move to Twitter for a few questions, um, where Tom Robinson says, I have a question for Peter. How do you find the time to appear on hand of pod and fulfil your duties as chairman of Stoke City? With great difficulty. I'm sure. I manage it. Lots of long, long distance long, plane journeys. Yeah, exactly. Peter will next be going to England uh, later this month. Indeed, yeah. Christmas. Uh, January transfer window. Yeah. So there we go. He, he manages it with uh, Skype and... Um, yeah. Indeed. Uh, Andres... Oh, no, that's you, Andres. Sorry, I thought it was another Andres. <laughs> Mentions that we're going to have to talk about Ramon Diaz being Paraguayan national team manager and Chile not agreeing with it, which he's just done very well. Uh, Razvan Bruno Frim asks, are you going to discuss the Libertadores groups and the chances of the Argentinian teams? We've discussed the draw. Um, River and San Lorenzo, as we mentioned, are literally the only Argentine clubs who we know which group they're going to be in at the moment. We didn't mention that Huracan have got a playoff against Peru 3. Huracan, of course, by winning the Copa Argentina last week... Um, well, then they're in the second division. They are on the verge of coming back up. They've not come back up yet, have they? They're up. No. They're they, 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 are, they are playing in Monday, I think. Yeah, they're, they're almost certain to come back up into the Primera for next year. Uh, but they've not done so yet. They hopefully would have done so that. So if they win that, that playoff and they win against River, the Recopa or Supercopa, I don't mm. even know the name, they can play both Copa Sudamericana and Copa Libertadores without promotion. Being promoted, right? No, because the team who play the Sud the Sudamericana and the Libertadores aren't there. Oh no, you're right. No, no, because the River San Lorenzo playoff that allowed River to play both last season was not the Super Copa. It was the Super Final because San Lorenzo won the other championship, which so that's not going to be happening from next year because there's not going to be two short championships. So I'm not sure what the Super Copa is going to be for next year. We'll find out. Anyway. Uh, Peru 3, or Akam's um, playoff opponents, are going to be either Alianza Lima or Melgar. We don't know that one yet. Uh, Argentina 2, don't know who that is yet, because we don't know the Belez Boca situation, we don't know who's going to finish. 
the, the other positions, by the way, are decided. Oh no, that's Sudamericana that's decided from the current championship. We're very confused. We're just going to trust the app to sort it all out. But Argentina two play Ecuador three, and and that's it. Which means that one of the Argentina sides has been drawn. Of course, right, yeah. Argentina four are in Group five, but we haven't got a clue who that's going to be yet. Yeah. Argentina three, as we mentioned, are in Group eight. Well, Argentina won. Oh, Argentina won at River. We we have to be at ease with this, with no no not knowing. Yeah, we just sort of let because if you ask, I think if They're you ask a director, anyway. a director of AFA or, or Conmebol, they don't even know. they don't even they don't know. So <laughs> they uh, Toby Millard finally says uh, he sent a few tweets in a row saying I've only just seen the tweet, so no worries if I'm a bit late with my question. You're not Toby, don't worry. He says, regarding Matthias Kranevito's potential future with the national team, do you see him being Mascherano's understudy or Mascherano's midfield partner? With the, he has just he recovered from an injury. Uh, he, he could be, if he finally uh, recovers his place in the, in the team uh, with River and, and his big in good performance as he was before getting getting injured and, and has the opportunity to be called up. He was on the verge of his first call-up for Argentina when he picked the injury up, of course. If he hadn't picked it up on that match, he would have gone to play the friendly uh, against Brazil, wouldn't he? Yeah. Was. Um, so, absolutely. I think... Actually, I think possibly a combination of both. I yeah. think, first of all, Kranovita is... Um, a little more creative from deep positions. He's more of a passer than Mascherano. He's slightly less of a purely destructive player. For that, you'd be looking at, well, a Poncio, I guess, or maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Sirigliano, who combines a bit of both. Um, but I think Mascherano could sit deep and play... Sorry, Mascherano, Cranevita, could sit deep and play a similar role in a way to Fernando Gago's current role in the national side. He's possibly even a bit better than Fernando Gago now, never mind in a few years' time. But ultimately, I think he's going to be the number five for Argentina going forward because Mascherano is 30, Kranovic is 21. So clearly, that transition is going to happen at some stage, assuming that this injury that Kranovic has just come back from doesn't turn out to be the first of many, assuming that he picks up where he left off and his potential continues. Yeah. I mean, it's a metatarsal, it's one of those things. I, I would foresee him getting over that, getting back to where he was, yeah. and the two international careers overlapping for some time than playing in the same team together and eventually, like you said, Kranovita being Argentina number five. Um, the other thing with Kranovita, by the way, is if River had managed to win last night after Kranovita, of course, came, up, came off the bench, Matthias Kranovita would, this morning, have woken up to find himself in River Plate's all-time record books because when he picked up his injury, he had gone 14 or 15, I can't remember which, but I know that it was a joint all-time record for River, including the amateur era matches consecutively um, one in a row which was the joint record if he'd won one more obviously that record's now gone because they only drew last night and he played it um, but if they'd won last night then Matthias Kranovita would now be the player, the river player in their entire history and won the most consecutive matches which at the age of 21 and for a club who are as successful as River have been is bloody impressive <laughs> it has to be said really? so unlucky Matthias if you're listening um, those are all of the questions that we've had this week I feel very unpopular only three or four do better next week listeners please yeah, because of the new parliament I think next, next one will be better yes it must be Yeah, we'll, we'll be bedded in properly next week um, which means that the next music that you hear will be Mystic Sam's theme music 
And the next voice that you hear after that will not be my voice, but it will be the voice of Mystic Sam, having been transported into that higher celestial plane, telling you what to bet your money on this weekend. Don't go away. course only eight matches this coming weekend. Mystic Sam will be predicting Racing versus Godoy Cruz and Quilmes versus River next week. Um, so for this week we have just the following games. Estudiantes versus Tigre. I'm going for a draw in La Plata. Vélez Sarsfield versus San Lorenzo. Not for the first time this year because we did it last year as well and indeed this time last year. We find ourselves asking who would the Apple decide it was a good idea to put Villa Southfield versus San Lorenzo on the last weekend of the championship? But still, Villa Southfield, um, I think, are going to win that one. San Lorenzo, obviously, looking forward to the Club World Cup, and therefore, we're going to be quite distracted. Atletico de Rafaela versus Arsenal de Sarandi, I think, is going to be a an Atletico win. Uh, Defensa Olimpo de Bayarlanca versus Defensa Justicia should be an Olimpo victory. Banfield versus Rosario Central, I think it's going to be a Banfield win, and, by the way, gentlemen, do you know when the last time was that Banfield and Rosario Central played one another, and the match ended in an away win? 1987. And the last time before that was 1976. So, whatever you do, whether you believe Mystic Sam or not, don't bet on an away win this weekend. And now I've said that, we all know what's going to happen. Belgrano versus Independiente, I think is going to be a draw. Sorry, Peter. Boca Juniors versus Gimnasia y Esgrima La Plata, I think is going to be a Boca Juniors victory in spite of an injury list that is longer than my inner leg. And Newell's Old Boys versus Lanús on Monday night. Draw. Neither side have got much to play for, and they're both probably down in the dumps after last weekend's results. Lanús particularly. Any arguments with those gents? I mean, it's a pretty odd weekend given it's the last weekend, but without any relegations and the two games. Yes, there was the, and there's there's one match which has got a lot riding on it, which is the Estudiantes Tigre on Friday night. Uh, either both, no, not neither. It, one or both of those teams, um, I think one or both of those teams. It's very confusing. Will qualify for next year's Copa Sudamericana. Um, Estudiantes might already be in it, but I have to admit there are so many different clauses in it, and it depends also on who wins the January the 15th playoff we get between Boca and Vélez, um, so it's a bit confusing. But I think Estudiantes are in it, they might not be, they might need one more point, and if Tigre win it, win the match on, on Friday, then they are in uh, next year's Sudamericana. So there's that, apart from that, there's not really very much riding on most of the matches. I think Atletico, Rafaela and Vélez can both qualify for the Sudamericana as well. But it's all very confusing. Yeah. And um, for Independiente, worryingly, they're saying it could be Fede Mancuesha's final. Is he going to play? Because I saw he was doubtful. Yeah, he's doubtful as well. But oh, we've not mentioned Mancuesha getting engaged. Oh, right. He, uh, Manco Federico Mancuesha scored the only goal of the game in Independiente's 1-0 victory over Newell's, which we have mentioned. Cracking goals, it was a very good goal. Um, and apparently, I love the way that this got phrased, by the way. 
it, it got reported the following day, not as Federico Manquecho having promised his girlfriend that he would marry her if he scored 10 goals in the championship, but he promised his girlfriend that he would propose to her if they scored 10 goals in the championship, which made me really, really, really wish that she'd said no, because that would have been very funny if she'd made him promise it and then gone, mm, no, I've changed my mind, sorry. Um, Although with him on the bench of a rather, rather lucrative transfer, I imagine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to insinuate about her personality, uh, though. Uh, I, I don't know his girlfriend or him. So. <laughs> he he was uh, just smart on 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 asking her uh, to marry him after the scoring that that goal because I I watched that situation that the Twitter and that and, and he's quite quite nice so good to to make sure you you will get married with her. Hmm. How old is he? Yeah. 25, I think. Oh, okay. So he's not a 19-year-old. No, 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 no. Not that I have a problem with that. I just, uh, as a 30-year-old who's still nowhere near ready to get married, I find it vaguely terrifying when I hear about young footballers getting engaged. I suppose it's much easier to do when you've got millions of pounds or dollars or whatever in the bank. Yeah. Not that my question has yet, of course. Uh, at least I think it was original, because what, what we see all the time is uh, players celebrating all with the card shape yes or, or well this is he showed but he actually meant it <laughs> although actually as well on on the sort of Feli Mancuesho news update um, I noticed uh, Martino did an interview yes. this week and he was the best player in the tournament yeah yes. said he was the best player in Argentina interesting particularly given that he's clearly not um, I think he meant but uh, form wise there's certainly yeah. an argument for it yeah. um, on a similar note Arsenal fans on uh, when was it that they played we, we haven't mentioned last weekend's results apart from the, the main ones at all of course uh, but we're not going to either it's not much point but Arsenal fans on Monday night they lost 2-0 at home to Belgrano in a pathetic performance um, but some Arsenal fans took along a, a, a Uruguayan flag and uh, wrote over it the words Tavares Brian es Aleman that means Brian is German but it's also the surname of Brian Aleman um, Pero nació en Uruguay. He was born in Uruguay. So, presumably, Argentine Arsenal fans are trying to get uh, Brian Aleman called up for the Uruguayan national team. I'm not sure whether that's cheekiness or whether they just want an international player. I suspect the latter. Uh, but Brian Aleman, of course, his um, goal scoring record of five consecutive matches in a row. Bit of a tautology there. I don't mean to say consecutive and in a row in the same sentence. I apologise. Um, his goal scoring record of scoring in five consecutive matches came to an end because they lost 2-0 he might get one at the weekend and they lost their uh, impressive home record they did yes yeah. the week after winning their first away game of the season uh, winning their away for the first time this season they lost for the first time at home Um, so yes absolutely Uh, that is all for this week ladies and gentlemen we've got all of this onto one file on the microphone which is superb Um, we will be back next weekend next week when I assume we'll also be recording on Thursday night to review River Plate's home leg of the Copa Sudamericana against Atletico Nacional and to preview Racing versus Godoy Cruz, River versus uh, Quilmes, sorry, versus River, and let's see, it's going to be the eleventh, possibly also the Club World Cup. I'm not quite sure when it begins. I do know. Tenth, of, I think. It's the tenth. But the yes, the preliminary on the tenth, unfortunately. So yeah, we'll preview San Lorenzo in the Club World Cup next week. Um, Mariano, unfortunately, we haven't had time to talk to him before he jets off 
to that and the body going to have a correspondent in Morocco for the Club World Cup because Mariano is flying out there on the 6th which is well by the time you listen to this it'll be tomorrow in a professional capacity or as a uh, I don't think Mariano has ever been to a San Lorenzo match in an even vaguely professional <laughs> capacity he's, he's going he to he will be the first ever correspondent from for Hannibal yes I'd like to point out, by the way, to new listeners, uh, in case you're not familiar with how Handapod operates, that we're using the word correspondent in its loosest possible sense, which is to say he's not a correspondent at all. Um, he's just going to be there, and then we might talk to him about it afterwards. Do not expect live updates from Morocco. <laughs> Although, if they get to the final, I think Mariano's going to be um, wasted, and I might try and get him on Skype, possibly. But we'll see. Uh, for now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to this first ever episode of Handapod in my new flat. Um, and thank you gentlemen for being my first ever guests in my new flat as well not just for Hand of Pod but for anything because there was nobody here yesterday um, so it's goodbye uh, to all of you from Peter goodbye goodbye from Andres goodbye and goodbye from me goodbye <laughs>